So, welcome to the Poetry Pause, a poetry podcast from a cowshed in West Wales. We are just crazy about poetry, and this morning we're talking about Maya Angelou. I'd like to welcome Emma Baines. Hello, good morning. Emma Nailit Baines. <laughs> and myself, Philippa Davis. Sadly, we don't have Jean at the moment, our third member of our podcast, because she's not very well, so she's socially distancing. And, it's uh, just us. Yeah, we wish her the very best. So, Emma, this is our first meeting after lockdown, our first podcast meeting. And how have you used poetry over lockdown? Has it been a help? Is there anybody you've discovered? As always, poetry's been a massive help during lockdown. It's just, I found it really useful. I haven't been able to concentrate on novels or sitting for long periods of time. So reading short poems that have kind of filtered through through the day has really helped me. And I've been reading Mary Jean Chan, Flesh, which the title just really appealed to me straight away. Yeah. Kind of putting your body into something while I think it means arrow in French. So that idea of kind of propelling myself somewhere. Yes. Appealed to me. Yes. And I've been reading Ella Frears and her poem about moss. I found really good because it just really grounded me. Yeah. Is the flesh book about any particular subject? There's a lot of poetry directed towards her relationship with her mother. Mm, always a rich source. Yes, absolutely. What about you? What have you been reading? Well, I've been reading quite a lot of nature poetry. Yeah. Uh, particularly people like Ted Hughes, because yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the beauty and the horror, really, in life. Yeah. Um, which I think this recent period has kind of highlighted for everybody. You've seen amazingly brilliant behaviour from uh, some of our species and then not so great stuff from others. And yeah. there's been, you know, great cruelty in who's died and and then great stories of recovery and resilience and bravery. Yeah. And I've been on loads of workshops Zoom workshops, which in some cases have been fantastic. Uh, there's a company called The Poetry Business. Yeah. And they've got a really well-organised, very practical courses. You write a lot, you put your poems up on the screen, mm. you go into little Zoom rooms, into smaller groups to critique. So very beneficial. I learned a lot on them. Mm. And I actually think poetry is something, an art form that really, really suits online activity you know it's great live as well of course yeah but I've been very impressed by some of the workshops so have you found that the writing has kind of focused your mind so you don't you can't worry about the bigger picture as well yes while you're doing it yes Mm. I mean a couple of these workshops were three hours long and at the time when I signed up for them I thought gosh that's going to be a long time to be sat in the chair but actually we had breaks halfway through And there was so much activity. It was so participative that it just flew by. And I felt I'd made friends in them. Yeah. So that was really sustaining. Poetry is a religion, I think. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, Maya Angelou. What a woman. I know. A phenomenal (laughs) woman. Yes. So I've picked Still I Rise, which is one of her best-known poems. So I'll just read an excerpt of it now after she's started. 
You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll arise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. <laughs> Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides. Just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh as if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. Does it come as a surprise that I dance? As if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs. <laughs> Out of the huts of history's shame I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling and bearing in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, wow. There I go. <laughs> Out of the huts of history's shame I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Why I chose that poem was because it's totally amazing. Yeah. It was partly influenced by me watching a YouTube video of my Angelou talking about the poem mm -hmm. and describing that in some ways about getting up every morning. Yeah. Which was such a sort of mundane, ordinary yeah. experience that we all have that as well as being about black civil rights movement and big, magnificent things, it's about that very act of every morning you get up and you carry on. Yeah. So I felt it was particularly opposite for lockdown and mm. for how a lot of people were feeling. And, I mean, just reading it then, I picked it because the amazing use of rhythm in it. Yeah. Yeah. You really feel it. And when you hear her perform it... Oh, it it just goes on another level. Yeah, it's ex quite extraordinary. Yeah. So that's why I picked it. What do you reckon to it? I think it's a poem 
that's so immediate. You know, it's probably recognisable to many people who wouldn't ordinarily look at or think of themselves as enjoying poetry. Yeah. It's, it is a poem to be performed, certainly. Mm. Yeah, I just love it. It's, it's an inspiring poem yeah. and an uplifting poem, and it fills you with courage and a sense that you can achieve things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's an anthem almost, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And she was so physical in her poetry. Mm. I mean, it really comes from her body. It's yeah. just extraordinary. Yeah. There is a great deal to say about Maya Angelou, but we probably need to hone it down a little bit to the relevance of this poem. What do we know about her? We know she was born in 1928 in St. Louis and that she moved between St. Louis and the beautifully named Stamps in Arkansas, where her grandmother ran the local shop. Yeah. Her first autobiography is very much about the first 17 years of her life when she had this defining moment of being raped at the age of eight. Yeah. And then becoming mute for about five years. Though she did mm. speak to her brother Bailey, I think. Yes. Yeah. And they were very close, weren't they? Well, yeah. They But they were both sent away when they were so young to live with their grandmother. And I think probably he may have been the only constant in her life mm. throughout her childhood and adolescence. Mm. And she became mute because the man who committed the rape, who was yeah. her mother's boyfriend, was killed, wasn't he, after she mentioned his, his name. name. Yeah. So she believed it was her voice. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? Mm. I, I find that it's like almost she thought the power of her voice was a destructive one. Mm. And so she just mm. didn't speak. Mm. 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 Yeah. But she used those five years to great effect, according to relatives. She read loads. Yeah. She became extremely observant and a very good listener. Mm. And obviously that, I think, created the basis for her extraordinary creativity later on. Yeah, it's almost like she spent that time in silence finding the true power of her voice through poetry. Yeah. And uh, uh, the theme of voice with her is really, really important, I think, isn't it? I mean, she, you know, she occupied a space with her seven autobiographies. Yes. Some people would think... Gosh, that's very egotistical. But she decided she was going to tackle this form of the Mm. autobiography, didn't she? And I think there was an abolitionist in the sort of the 1850s, Frederick Douglass, who was a champion of women's rights. And he wrote a couple of autobiographies about his life as a slave Mm. and, and, and the civil right. So I think she was influenced by him. Yeah. But it's an extraordinary thing to decide to do, isn't it? Yeah, and what I found really interesting was that she wrote um, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings and everybody loved it and she had people were empathetic towards her and then she decided to tell all about being a prostitute and things like that and she was aware that people may not react in the same way but she was determined to be authentic to tell the truth about her life. mm And that's a really courageous thing to do, isn't it? Yes, Mm. yes. 
And of course, she was very, I think, female in her orientation in yeah. autobiography because yeah. she wrote about family, she wrote about identity, she wrote about yeah. race. And um, one of the things that really stuck in my mind is in the Cage Bird Sings, she talks about her love of pineapple. Yeah. She just sort of obsesses yeah. about pineapple all the yeah. time. So, as well as seven autobiographies, she did essays she was a civil rights campaigner mm-hmm. she did plays tv docs songs or songs yeah. she, she wrote books of poetry she was extraordinarily prodigious and energetic food is very important in her life she wrote two cookbooks yeah you sort of get the whole thing with her don't you yes yeah. She's not editing a kind of sanitized version. No. For, no. for hype. And she's um she's not at all haughty. She she wants to be human. She wants to be with people mm. and mm. and to write mm. about people. So. Yeah. Her personal life, she was quite protective of that, I think. I think so, yeah. And her first husband had a marvellous name, mm-hmm. Tosh Angelos. So she married him. It didn't last very long. She moved to New York and she joined the Harlem Writers Guild yeah. where she was befriended by James Baldwin, who was mm. you know, a very celebrated writer. And a great support to her, I think. Yeah. And she met Martin Luther King. Later on, she married Paul Dufour, who... Although sounding French, actually came from Wrexham yeah, in West. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, <laughs> and was married to German Greer. Yeah, and yeah. I think he was the first male Cosmo centerfold, wasn't he? He was a bit right. Of a, okay, he was a bit of a sex god. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she sort of shunned intellectual life a little bit, despite getting fifty honorary I degrees. Yeah. She never actually had a degree herself. No. But um, and she clearly was an absolutely towering intellect. Yeah. Though some critics decried her poetry a little bit because it is so performative. Yeah. And accessible. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm. So is there anything else you think particularly interesting in her personal life? I think that uh, the way her life corresponds with major historic events like the 1960s civil rights movement and how... Interesting, I think it is a different point in her life, like with the rape, when she felt that her voice had caused the death of someone. And then she was going somewhere on her birthday. And that was the day that Martin Luther King got assassinated. And she'd said she wouldn't go until after her birthday party. And so I just, these the way in which these things stay with her, and she almost feels, not responsibility, but... It weighs on her a lot at these different points. She, she feels as though in some way her life is aligned with history. I find that quite interesting. That's, that is fascinating. Yeah. It's less about her as an individual, isn't it? Yeah. And much more about her as a representative, really. Yes, absolutely. And that's why her autobiographies don't come from a place of ego, really. No. They come from a place of connection. Yes. Yeah. I think she was to be organising something for Martin Luther King, wasn't she? Yes. She organised for the church. Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. he was assassinated and she couldn't do that. And she felt 
very bad yeah. about that. She didn't she, celebrate her birthday for years afterwards. So. Really? Yeah. Gosh. Mm. As we're interested in this line of hers, a real woman. Yeah. Uh, she had a fantastic writing ritual. And you and I are drinking water as we record this. I know. We're so rock and roll. But we should be drinking sherry. <laughs> because she had this ritual. She would hire a hotel room. Hotel room, room yeah. Go there with a bottle of sherry, the Bible, a pack of cards and yeah. yellow legal pads that she always yeah. wrote on. And right, she sometimes, she often started at 6, 6.30 in the morning. I know, yeah. I don't think I could cope with the sherry then. But mm. And she would write until sort of lunchtime-ish. Yeah. And then go home, start to prepare a really nice dinner and mm. edit. I think In her, the evening, mm, yeah. Mm, so her... 10 or 12 pages would become kind of four or mm. five pages. But she said that she had the sherry often around about 11 o'clock. Yeah. And that if she she wanted to enchant herself to write, mm. because she wanted to go back to the place where she's writing about. Yes. Yeah. It's very like method acting, actually. Yeah, it is, isn't it? She was it? an actress. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a cathartic thing for her. It was she really oh, wanted yes. to read. She said that it, writing made her sweat and that it was hard work. She had to put herself into it. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. So that's fascinating. Mm, that I think. is fascinating. And, uh, we're not advocating here that you start sloshing <laughs> sherry. And she would play solitaire to almost kind of, I suppose, wipe her mind, yeah. wouldn't she? It's yeah. Like some people have writing rituals that involve different types of mindless activity. Mm. That was it. But I love the idea of her rocking up in different towns. Yeah. She feels like a very modern person a lot of the time. She was mm. a nomad. She, she, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She does feel ahead of her time. Totally, yeah. yeah. And the way she used, wrote in lots of different media. Mm. Yeah, and just applied herself to what she was doing. Just yeah. got on and did it. Yeah, did yeah. the hard work. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think with very little background in television, yeah. she was asked to do a series, I think it was called Black's Blues Black, mm. on Afro-American history and music. Yeah. And she leapt in and did kind of 10 wonderful documentaries mm. on that subject, yeah. wrote them, produced them, directed them, yeah. and narrated them. Yeah. She was such a powerhouse, you Absolutely, know. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. What a role model. I know. <laughs> Musically, she got involved with a few people, didn't she? she... Yeah, didn't she write for Roberta Flack? Amazing. Yeah. Uh, poetry in this particular book I've got and still I rise there's an extraordinary range of poetry in there yeah there's some very modern stuff mm. which doesn't rhyme mm. and is quite spiritual and moving yeah and then there's some quite sad stuff I mean about oh. getting old and yeah. dying mm. she writes about all aspects of being human as well yes and there's one here called The Last Decision, mm. which, and the last verse is, Life is too busy, wearying me, questions and answers and heavy thought. I've subtracted and added and multiplied, and all my figuring has come to naught. Today I'll give up living. Oh. Which is really yeah. sort of really sad. Yeah. She's honouring 
her belief that you should speak your truth, really. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it it wouldn't feel authentic, as empowering as Still I Rise is, if that if every poem was like that, because that isn't what it's like no, to be human. No, no. So she very much sees herself as a representative rather than an individual. Yeah. And connection's a big theme for her. Yeah, she she speaks for her culture. I write through the black experience, that's what I know, but I'm always talking about the human condition. She she wants to bring everybody in and speak for them and be and walk with them. And but she's not she's not angry. She she says that bitterness is like cancer, it draws upon the host. Anger is healthy, it burns out all the, all the dross. So she refuses to be bitter. She's very forgiving, but she expresses her anger and tries to resolve it in many ways. Yes, yeah. By reaching out to people yes. and bringing them in. Well, it's interesting because when she was approached to write her autobiography. The commissioner who asked her to do it, obviously had a good grip on her psychology mm. because he said, oh, you know, it would be such a challenge to write your biography. It would be like a really yeah. difficult thing to do. And she said, and that is the carrot for me. I can't resist no. that. So I imagine... She used her anger a lot of the time as a catalyst. I'm quite interested in the influence of her grandmother on her life. Yes. The women who influence her. Yeah. Her mother, this is an example of how she's not bitter... Her mother, who kind of abandoned her age four, and again after the rape when she couldn't cope with with her being mute, she was. She just says a lot about what a tremendous woman she was, what a powerful, strong woman, and that she. I think she said something like she wasn't very good at at raising young children, but she was great at communicating with her as a young woman. Yes. So she just looks for the positives in people and what they've got to offer without any, um, you know, she's very forgiving in that way. Yes, yes. And her grandmother even more so. I, I think that the the rise motif emerges straight away from her grandmother um, getting up every day and rising from bed to pray and be grateful for the things that she's got. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, sort of positive affirmations every day, really. Yeah. I mean, they sound like they were quite a resourceful family. Mm. It's quite interesting to be able to take the good things in people and accept the bad things without trying to change them or or being bitter about them. Yes. Yeah, it's a very wise and mature place to be in, isn't it? Have you written a response, Emma? I've written a response poem that came from some advice that Maya's grandmother gave her. Excellent. Um, and it said, you know what's right, just do right. Ah, uh, I love that. <laughs> okay. Just do right. Lessons from Maya Angelou. I will try and often fail with shadows in my light. 
and my heart may sink as I set sail, but still it knows what's right. To sit in my own stillness, distill old trauma's bite, where loneliness has company, alone is only right. It holds me in my truth, and mutes the noise of others who buzz and circle in my ears, never warm beneath the covers. Where faith is bandaged like a wound that meshes out of sight, and wisdom is the collagen to heal the sore in right. It bleeds into the morning, we rise skyward like the swifts, move others with our rhythm, shift ground with our sweet gifts. Dance to the tune of human, misstep, fall, then fight, Cry and shout, be silent, sing, love you, and just do right. Do hold, do do, just do right, do do. Do work, do do, just do right, do do. Do courage, do do, we'll be all right. Fantastic. And that ending really demonstrates how this use of rhythm influenced hip hop and, you know, just loads of... Well, I can't perform it quite like Maya, but I was trying to get a sense of rhythm, rhyme, um, and just the essence of Still I Rise, but from my point of view. Wonderful, actually. And the rhythm is just fantastic at the end. Because you don't often write in rhyme, do you? No, hardly ever. Do you find it a stretch when you do? In some ways, the more constraint I try and put on myself when I'm writing, the easier I find it. But I find it difficult to for it not to become a cliche where you're just looking for a word that rhymes yes. other than really sticking with what you're trying to say. Yeah. But I still I enjoyed writing it. That comes through in the poem. It's good exuberant wonderful so are you going to read yours for us now i will how did yours come to you well over lockdown i i run some small online community notice boards of little welsh towns Mm -hmm. so i get to observe what people are doing as a response to things and overwhelmingly in wales people were singing Really? Yes. There were massive online choirs set up. Yeah. Some very big Facebook groups where people mm. sending in versions from all different types of people. Little toddlers singing oh. to very old people singing. The Welsh took to the sound waves. So Good for us. It's partly that, but also become very interested in nationalism. Right. I'm not becoming a nationalist, but I'm interested in why people become nationalists. Yeah. And where patriotism and love of your country slips into something a bit darker and mm-hmm. sort of separatist. So, so that's part of it as well. Still we sing. Does our exuberance irk you? Does it come as a shock that we're too busy clonking to think of you and Mark? Out from the call centres and pubs we sing. In post-industrial towns, now quite shit, we sing. We are dragon, breathing fire and might, but too small, too dependent to truly fight. Ignoring England's public school Tories, we sing. In land of harp echoes and lush stories, we sing. With blood that pulses, with tune and kind words, unrecorded by twitchers, where little Welsh birds we sing, we sing, we sing. 
So interesting how you've drawn parallels of shared human experience of, of rage against oppression while also defining our culture and yes. our identity yes. very specifically. It's quite interesting how you brought those two facets together. And Some people would say, well, Still Our Eyes is such a magnificent anthem. How dare you write about Welsh people singing online, yeah. using it as a basis? And I think that's a valid argument mm. for people who believe that the most respectful thing is to just leave works of art stands. Mm. But I asked myself, what would Maya Angela do? Would mm. she think that playing with this poem was a good idea? Yeah. And would she regard it disrespectful? And I thought probably not. Yeah. She'd think it was a riff on it. It's a yeah. bit like jazz, isn't it? Yeah. Take something. I think that I read that she wanted her example to be something that could be emulated and and taken on by others as well. It just, again, with being human. I think she wrote something about finding something wondrous within yourself. Yes. And, and sharing that with others. So Yes, yeah. she is a huge advocate of that, isn't she? Yeah. What are we left with from Maya? If we had to sum her up, it's really difficult, I think, to sum her up I in know. one word. Or... Yeah. Or a phrase. Um, I, I was thinking about this a lot because you asked me, do you, what, is she's a poet of what? And I was thinking truth, determination. But I think what came to me in the end is, is courage. Mm. And like she said herself, without courage, you can't stand by any of the other virtues. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah, so Maya the Courageous and Maya the Magnificent. I mean, mm. what a role model. Oh, yeah. Quite extraordinary. So, thank you, Maya. We should leave the last words with her. I had a lot of clouds, but I have had so many rainbows. And one of the things I do when I step up on a stage, when I stand up to translate, when I go to teach my classes, when I go to direct a movie, I bring everyone who has ever been kind to me with me. Black, white, Asian, Spanish-speaking, Native American, gay, straight, everybody. I say, come with me. I'm going on the stage. Come with me. I need you now. Long dead. You see? So I don't ever feel I have no help. I've had rainbows in my clouds. Thank you, Emma, and look forward you, to the next Emma. episode of the Poetry Pause.